Hi everyone, welcome to season one of the Art House podcast by Artesian. We're going to be talking to really smart people about their big ideas to change the world. AI will be the primary force that dissolves international boundaries and borders. Our dream is to create a process that is so efficient that anybody in the planet without any PhD can run it. We're on a mission to make solar PV low cost, fast and easier. Quite often we fell into the trap of innovation departments wanting to engage with us because they wanted to trial AI. I'm Ali Clunies Ross on lead guitar. And I'm Tim Heasley on backing vocals. Let's get started. Welcome, Max, to the Art House podcast. Great to have you here, all the way from California. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for welcoming me here. I think uh, you and I met first in Singapore sometime in 2019 in your very fancy lab there. We both know it wasn't very fancy. It was a shared facility at that time. You have to start somewhere. But it was fun to to take you around and show you other people's uh, desks. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It It was fancy to me anyway. Could you give us a summary of the business and the global problem you are solving? Absolutely. So Turtle Tree, we are a biotech company based in Singapore. But we have now really expanded to California and the U.S. as well. But uh, we've been very focused on the dairy industry, the dairy space, and really the damage that's happening globally around bovine milk and uh, the greenhouse gases that, that's around it, as well as just the animal cruelty side of it. Uh, I just don't think that we were meant to have hundreds of thousands of cows in small little spaces and what it's evolved into. So totally what we're really doing is using technology to unlock a lot of these really precious things that are found in milk. Because no matter how you look at it, milk still has an incredible nutritional value. So that's really what Turtle Tree has been focusing on. We have a tremendous team that works around the clock in Singapore as well as in the U.S., producing real milk with all of its valuable nutritional things that are in it using technology. That's great. Thank you. I'm well aware of the the costs of milk production, but as in New Zealand, as milk prices grew over the last 20 years, there was a rush into dairy farming throughout a lot of New Zealand. Irrigation was hastily installed in areas where that perhaps wasn't the best thing to be doing. But the damage to the rivers system in New Zealand from the nitrates, from the runoff, from the intensive cattle farming will be hundreds of years in the remedying, if at all. So just a, a very tangible. And that's not even particularly intensive farming. That's broad acre farming. But it's done immeasurable damage there. It's not just in uh, places like Australia and New Zealand. If you look at California, California is has been a powerhouse for dairy for decades as well. We've spent time with the Dairy Institute and some of the folks who are a big part of that industry. They're having massive issues here in California with water shortages, as you everyone knows, the water shortage mm-hmm. issue. But also uh, contamination of the water and uh, the water supplies. So I think people are starting to realize that It's just not sustainable that we have to start looking at other solutions. And listen, I think what these farmers have done so far to feed the world has been incredible. Like we needed that up until this point. But we're at that stage where I think we can start harnessing technology to start solving some of these big issues and doing these things together. There are better ways. 
And yes. I'm interested, Max, I noticed on your LinkedIn, you actually, so you started out at UC Davis and then you were working in enterprise cloud solutions and corporate IT. I mean, it feels like quite a big jump into biotech. What was the story with that? How did you get interested in this space? Oh, this is a fun part. I, uh, so I am not a biotechnology scientist here. I'm very much, uh, I very much come from the executive space, traditional technology, and I ran, I was a CEO for, for about 15 years running a tech company. But at some point, I really, really wanted to participate in the sustainability area because I, I spent about a decade bitching and complaining about it and yeah. wondering why <laughs> other people have not done anything to fix the problems that we all created. And at some point, I just felt like I wanted to participate and I wanted to exit out of that area and take a leadership role and find ways to to make that impact. And that's what I've fortunately been able to do. Listen, although we have an, an incredible scientific team, some of the best people in, in the space, even myself, I spend a lot of time learning. I still uh, try to bring myself up to speed with a lot, a lot of the biotech jargon because I need it in certain meetings. I need to know what's happening. But it was a transition period. And when I mentor young folks, when I, when I talk to people in different industries, I let them know you can be from whatever industry. You can make that transition if you want to make an impact and do something that you believe is more purposeful. That was very powerful. So the, the, the conception of the original business idea, Max, who, how did that come about? How did this creating milk in a bioreactor, how did this idea arise? So when I exited my previous company, I spent a lot of time looking at what's currently out there. Here, here in the Bay Area, for example, companies like Upside Meats, or which it used to be Memphis Meats, Blue Nalu, many of the other cultured meat companies are doing some really interesting things. And I found that these guys are doing amazing stuff. And when I was going around giving talks on this type of technology, our CEO, Fengu Lin, approached me at Google headquarters uh, while I was giving a talk and said, listen, that's really cool for meat but why can't you use that technology to make milk? And of course, she had her own agenda because she was learning how to make cheese and just couldn't find any milk in, in, in Singapore. But I thought, listen, we, maybe let's have coffee. Maybe we can talk about this and let's see if that technology exists. And that's how we first started this project. We just it, it came, just, it was just an idea. But as we continued working towards it, bringing on some scientists, there were a few eureka moments that kind of propelled us. So you two didn't know each other? She just came and approached you at, when you were at a talk? Like you didn't have any contact apart from this sort of one-off? That's right. I, I was on stage. I was talking about cellular technology, cell-based meat. And uh, right after I, uh, uh, that talk, uh, she said, hey, listen, my name is Van Gru. Do you know if that technology can make milk? I said, okay, That's a listen. That's great story. I've never heard a founder story where it's like, they came up to me and said, hi, can you do this? And then we, were, we decided to start the business. That's amazing. Now, there was a several coffee meetings before we made that decision. But uh, yeah, that's how the origin began. And I think it's really interesting because even in Australia, we're seeing that cell-based meat movement and a lot of the challenges with that around cost, around how it's produced ethically. And then we've obviously got the plant-based meat sort of group of companies as well. And then similarly, you've got the plant-based milk, but I think cell-based milk is actually, it's quite an unusual space. So you're seeing that there are many competitors that are popping up globally, or are you guys really sort of one of the first movers in this space? 
Well, although we were one of the first movers, we were the first mover in this space. What's happened since then, there are a few other companies that have popped up that are also starting to do something very similar. Listen, I think once this technology matures, what you're going to see is the ability to access a lot of the complexities of milk because milk is actually really complex. And the plant-based solutions have their place and they've been contributing and making an impact as well. But when you're trying to get say, for example, lactoferrin, which is a, an amazing protein in milk. That's stuff that you can't get from plant-based versions. And do you think that on that point that there's a wide range of human reactions to milk? Some people have to be lactose-free. and Is that one of the sort of pathways you'll look to modify the milks for different types of people who have different reactions to the dairy industry or to dairy in general? That's the beauty of technology. You can do so many different things. And one of them is being able to produce milk from the beginning without any lactose in it. So you're absolutely right. This is There's a lot of exciting potential. For Turtle Tree, what we're looking at early days is where can we go to market with uh, the most impactful milk components, right? What can have a major impact on human health? Where can we plug in that gap? But over the long term, we, we can definitely produce products that doesn't have lactose in it or are customized for certain types of folks. Yeah. Max, when I met you in Singapore, you told me that wonderful story about the snow leopards at the Smithsonian. Would you care to repeat that story? Absolutely. This is really interesting. So yes, you can use technology to make milk, but if you can use technology to make any type of mammalian milk, it also means that there are animals out there that need it. So the snow leopard is one situation. The other situation is elephants. So baby elephants, for example, elephants in general are poached in Sumatra, for example, in Indonesia. And what happens with their babies, they end up in orphanages. And those orphanages actually have a high rate of death of babies because regular milk, cow's milk, just is not enough. The nutritional density and value of real elephant's milk is so powerful and so strong that babies need it. Without that milk, they just don't do very well. So these folks approach us and say, your technology can make all kinds of mammalian milk. Can you also help us make elephant milk? And this is a very similar situation to snow leopard cubs because snow leopard moms end up attacking their cub in captivity. Mentally, it's not a great thing (laughs) to be in captivity, but snow leopard moms really don't do very well. They also approached us as well around being able to make snow leopard milk using this technology. So I think what Turtle Tree can do in the future is not just feed human beings, but also step in to help with some of these nonprofits that are out there. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Max. Turtle Tree Labs, where does the name come from? Oh, we, we, we do get asked quite a bit where Turtle Tree comes from, but turtles and trees really signify longevity, wisdom, and I think that's really what Turtle Tree puts a lot of energy and time thinking about. How can we help extend the life of this planet, the animals that are living on it, and how can we build food that are good for the planet? Right, right. Max, I was going to ask, so you're in California, but the business is also based in Singapore. How did you sort of arise in Singapore? Was it you started off in California and then moved around a little bit? What was that journey? And why did you look to the Asian market? 
So I, actually, when I was giving talks, I, one of the places I gave a talk was Google headquarters in Singapore. I was yeah. invited there to give a talk, and that's where I met my co-founder and my CEO, Feng Gru. And that's where we decided to double down. I was also seeing a lot of trends at, around that time. Uh, Singapore specifically being so progressive with some of the food security challenges. So I knew that would be a great place to be. What I didn't realize is just how important it would also be to be back in California. So although I come from UC Davis, my background is in computer engineering, but what UC Davis is actually known for is it's a veterinary school, the best in the world. And they also have one of the best, believe this, believe it or not, the best milk programs in the entire planet. And it happens to be there. They have several scientists who are the world's leading experts around bioactive milk proteins. So uh, it, we, we had so much synergy that we decided to open up our headquarters for R&D in Davis. How fortuitous that you went to UC Davis. Were you exposed to it when you were doing your, your undergrad or was it just completely random that it happens to be not at all. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was even kicked out of the Future Farmers of America Club. So it's not that I was not. Uh... <laughs> well, you can go back and lead lead the club now. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, look, going into the business now, where are you at currently? What are the milestones that you've achieved so far, and what are you looking to achieve over that next sort of twelve to eighteen months? Oh, I think we're going right into commercialization over the next 12, 18 months. There's some of these really high value milk, say proteins that we talked about earlier that we're focused on. Lactoferrin is one of them. We think it's got a lot of benefits for human health. And if you think about cow milk, it's a micronutrient. So in cow milk, it's 0.1 grams. So you need to get a lot of milk to pull this protein out. And that's what's currently happening. And it's also not good for the planet. So what we are doing is we're using technology to be able to produce this. So you, what you can expect over the next 12 to 18 months is us taking this to market with our BDB partners. And you should be able to see some of this stuff on the shelves. That's our one of our horizons. We have a pipeline of other proteins that are milk proteins and complex sugars as well that we're working towards getting out to the market. And Max, is the ambition uh, or one of the ambitions of the business to take the formula market? Taking down that market, it's a tremendous challenge. I think what you're going to see for the first few phases is going to be working with the infant formula industry and in increasing the accessibility of things that they've never been able to access. Because now that we have this technology, we can produce human milk versions of some of these proteins. We can make a human lactoferrin, for example. So they don't have to go for cow milk lactoferrin. There's an added value there. So we can actually close that gap in infant formula. So you're closer to human breast milk as much as possible. But in the future, as our technology continues to scale, there may be opportunities for those same infant formula companies to tap on our technology and be able to take some products to market that are as close to human breast milk as possible. And so are you, when you're targeting a particular sort of mammary cell, did you start off with human milk or, and then move to cow or we've talked about then elephant and do you have to focus on one and build that up or can you actually, is it the same process across all different mammals? Yeah. The process is actually very similar from mammal to mammal. There's a lot of similarities, but we did start off with bovine because at that time we were like, okay, cow milk is where it's at. And what we learned over time is 
there's got to be a business case around a lot of this stuff. And so the technology is quite powerful. What can we do with this technology that can have a big impact? And we can also take product to market that are higher value. And that's where we had a, a tremendous interest from the industry around human milk, bioactive proteins. And so we use the same technology. We tweaked our protocols and we started working around making human milk. And right. human milk proteins has really uh, taken off. And I think you're going to see both of these bovine and human versions uh, going mm -hmm. to market around the same time with the different applications. Some might be around infant formula and some might be around performance nutrition. Max, are there ethical considerations for you in creating human milk or, or do any of those arise under the laws of any of the countries you're operating in? Ethically, I think if we can produce human milk, you're going to see that folks are going to embrace this technology because if it's better for your baby, if, you're, if it's better for your child, that's going to be front of mind. As long as it's safe, it's produced in a way that doesn't harm any animals. I think that's going to be the biggest and most important thing. And just to let you know, today, there are certain complex sugars, human milk oligosaccharides, they're already made using recombinant technology. And they're a part of a lot of the infant formula that's out there now. So I think uh, consumer-wise, a lot of it's already accepted. And as a matter of fact, consumers are paying a higher price if they can find uh, milk proteins that are closer to humans. It's an interesting sort of consumer sentiment problem because as you were starting to just say before we drink cow milk and nobody thinks anything of it but as grown adults you'd think it's weird to be drinking human milk but it's more just access rather than an actual nutrition nutritional decision so yeah it's got interesting <laughs> interesting consumer sort of elements to it if we have access to human you know cell-based milk why would we start drinking a a different mammal's milk. I guess, is there history behind why cow milk historically? I think uh, historically we've just been able to manipulate bovine and get large volumes out of it. Yeah. Historically, to be able to feed as many people as possible. That's a, a big reason. I mean, because there's also uh, goat milk, sheep milk, all different yeah. types of milk. If you think about sheer volume, you get a lot from cows. That could be a major reason uh, why we're drinking cow's milk. But if you look into the future, we don't know what is going to be accepted by consumers. So yeah. I think the best thing to do is give them both options. Give them a sustainable cow milk and then give them a sustainable human milk. And depending on which applications, I think a lot of our B2B partners can help figure that out. And can you run through just quickly, I, I believe that there are sort of four steps to the process. Can you just quickly, I'm sure there's like a thousand more steps within those four, but quickly run through the sort of, you know, core process that, that you manage to create your milk? I'll do my best because uh, I think scientists always do a better job than we do when we talk about this stuff. But we, can, we start off with isolating cells, stem cells. So we get stem cells directly from fresh milk. Most people don't know this, but fresh milk actually has stem cells that are in it. So you can basically did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can actually isolate them out and then you can build a cell line accordingly. I mean, you can actually build a, a cell line you can use indefinitely from that. And from that point, we have a special lactation media, or you can say a broth of vitamins, nutrients, and so forth. 
And those are the same ones that are responsible inside of the human body or inside of a cow that actually get those cells to go through a natural process of lactation. So it uh, triggers those cells to start producing milk. And then the next step following that would really be the downstream purification and separation process where you're really making sure that you just separate the milk out and keep the cells separate. That's actually the full process. I don't know if that was three or four steps. The reality is there's many more. Yeah. But, but we can definitely go into that at some point in the future. And so you guys, I believe you founded the business in 2019. Is that right? Uh, about there, yes. About there. So you've obviously, you know, accelerated very quickly. But what were the core sort of challenges that you faced along the way? I mean, we talk to a lot of biotech founders, often actually the business or the commercial founders and, and sort of their challenges. But it's interesting to just understand how to scale up some of these businesses that often can be relatively capital intensive at the beginning and, you know, often are scientific sort of lab results as opposed to pilot plant or commercial results. So there's there's still a lot of technical risk, but um, I'm interested to just understand some of the challenges you've faced with Bangrew along the way. So I think some of the challenges that we knew right from the beginning was going to be around scale up. We knew that yeah. scale up was going to be an issue. What we did early on was a bit brazen. We actually invested into another company who all they do is focus on large-scale manufacturing and process development. And that company, Solar Bio, based out of Virginia in the U.S. And uh, that's paid off quite a bit because they're doing a lot of our process development right now and doing a lot of scale-up for commercialization. So I think throughout this process, what we found is the biggest challenges was really how do we scale up? And we are Mm -hmm. still working through that as a team uh, and that's continuing to be optimized over time. Max, are you working with other cell agriculture startups and businesses? We are working with some other folks. We're actually sharing some of our technology for cell-based meat. A lot of the culture media that we use to grow our cells with, we have some collaboration with other cell-based meat companies so they can access some of our tech. That's great. And that will in time become an important part of of the turtle tree business itself? It's already becoming that way. Uh, I think as time goes on and our technology continues to scale up, you'll see that turtle tree will be able to play in much more areas outside of milk as well. And that's because a lot of our technology and our enabling technology is quite powerful and it can help other industries in this space as well. Thank you. And from a consumer perspective, do you expect that the customers that want to buy cell-based milk are similar to the customers that want to buy cell-based meat? I think you're going to see a variety, uh, right? Some of, If you look at infant nutrition, that might be a whole different type of consumer. But for some of the other proteins, I think it really depends on the consumer and the application. Yeah. So it's for some of these things. So it will differ from person to person. Max, we're fortunate enough at Artesian to be invested in your wonderful company. And without uh, breaching any confidentiality here, you're in the midst of raising at a fairly eye-watering valuation a large sum of money, and we're very proud to be part of that. What are you going to be applying those funds to in particular? 
Oh, we have a lot of plans. Our team is actually growing quite significantly at the moment. We have a lot of major hires that have come on board. Many of these people normally would never leave their cushy jobs at major major companies unless they know that the company is uh, in a solid solid place. And one of them is uh, one of those folks, Dr. Xiao Wang, who's our VP of External Innovation. He is uh, he comes from Merck and Millipore Sigma. So that, that so a lot of talent is uh, is one part of it. But I think another reason is commercialization. And that's another high cost type of area that, that means we need to be able to raise enough funds for. Manufacturing for large scale is a CapEx heavy uh, situation. Yeah. So we need to be able to raise enough funds so we can go to market by next year with some of our proteins. And so you're expecting to partner with the manufacturing business that you invested in and build your own commercial plant. And then from there, do you continue to build factories or would you start to license out the tech? What would be the plan moving forward? Without sharing too much on this call, I think there's only so much we can share. I think you're going to see a combination of licensing collaboration models for manufacturing as well. We don't necessarily anticipate ourselves doing all the manufacturing. Yeah. Is there anything else, Max, that you wanted to cover as well? Well, listen, I think you guys have done an incredible job of asking a lot of the right questions. There's not a whole lot uh, that I can tell you, but what I can say is we're very fortunate to have some of the best investors in the world around us. And what you're going to see is one of the things that we're the most proud of is actually a company culture. I think we have one of the best company cultures uh, in this entire space. We have an amazing team. We're highly talent-dense. And that's actually a very important part of our company as we move forward. So if there's anyone listening out there who wants to join a growing and exciting team that's changing the world and having an impact, you can check out Turtle Tree Lab's career page. And and with a wickedly good culture. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it would be remiss of me not to mention how we met. I should mention Brink in Hong Kong, who was the introduction point for artesian to turtle tree labs and i know that you and brink have an ongoing relationship and indeed they may be participating in your upcoming round brink is an amazing organization and uh, listen it seems like everywhere we go we see them we were in qatar one time to meet some folks and all of a sudden they, they messaged and said hey we have a presence here as well and we had the opportunity to go meet some of their folks which are really amazing so I think we're very proud that we were affiliated with some of these amazing people. And that's one thing I can say is my journey throughout this entire space has been really great. A lot of good people and great investors that are in this space. Yeah, well, you're doing a good thing. And so perhaps you attract like-minded souls. So well done, Max. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks so much, Max. Have a lovely night and um, speak soon. 